Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. So good to have you here this morning. And if you're uh, brand new to Southwest, a very warm and special welcome to you this morning. Uh, we, uh, we have read God's Word. Thank you for reading it this morning. And we're reminded of the fact that it's, uh, it's the Word in which the Holy Spirit speaks to us and ministers to us. And uh, the Spirit ministers through the Word. And so it's always powerful to read the Word, to be aware of the Word of God, and to know that the Holy Spirit will take His Word and be faithful to use it. So we're glad you're here. Uh, we've been sorting through some of the promises of God uh, for our reminder and for our spiritual growth. God has given us a lot of promises in the Word. Some have counted 7,000 uh, promises. Uh, we've just kind of are taking a few and highlighting them and uh, just asking God that he would use those uh, to minister to our hearts. It was the Olympic uh, runner, you remember in the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, Eric Liddell. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And we might re rephrase it to say, I'm finding my groove. I, I know where God has called me. I know what I meant to do. I, I am where he wants me to be. And, you know, your life may not be easy, but you can say with Eric Liddell, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When you teach, you feel God's pleasure. When you respond as a medical person to the needs of other people, you feel God's pleasure when you build something, you feel God's pleasure. And many of you could say, well, yeah, I do, I do, that's, that's who I am. And I joined the chorus too. When you help someone, you feel God's pleasure. Now, making God smile is, of course, uh, our goal in this life, really. It's making God smile uh, because you know when he's smiling that we're, we're smiling too. You can't make God smile and not smile yourself. He smiles when we take hold of, our, of the promises that he's given to us. So this morning, I want to get a truth in front of you uh, that makes God smile. This is a truth that makes God smile, and the truth is generosity. I'm glad now that this teaching comes uh, right where it is here in January, so no one misconstrues it. You have been generous. Southwest, you've been generous. We've just finished a six-month period of ministry where our giving at this church plant, five years old, is, uh, is higher than it's ever been in the course of the five years. This has been our strongest last six-month budget. So uh, uh, to me, that says that we're, we're understanding our mission and our value and our, our call to be God's person in this community. So I want to give you a truth this morning with the prayer that what God's Word says about this will continue to encourage you and will continue to bless you. And I share this with you because I love you. And I want nothing more for you than to experience the blessing of God in your life. I really don't want you to miss the blessings that are found on this pathway. So the message this morning is that we maximize the promise that God gives to us in this area. You don't want to miss what God says about being generous and about giving. What's the promise? The promise is that blessing and significant benefits come to the person 
who's generous. Blessing and benefits come to the person who is generous. And I don't want you to wait until the last few years of your life before you catch this truth. And you say, oh, I wish I, wish I had known that, or I wish I had put that into practice. Uh, I guess now I'm, I'm old enough to proclaim that this really works. This really works. Have you ever asked what subject in the Bible makes uh, that God talks about the most as a promise? And you, know, and you might think, well, like he talks about faith the most, or he talks about prayer the most, or he talks about love the most. But, but really, he makes more promises about giving and generosity than any other topic in the Bible. That's amazing. Does that surprise you? Why would he do that? Well, he wants to tell us what he's like. He wants to kind of just draw back the curtains on the window and, and have us look at who he is and, and discover that there's a quality about God that he wants us to emulate, his generosity. Do you know that God's generous? Have you discovered that? Why should we be generous? Well, first of all, because when we are generous... God knows that we are really growing in our relationship with him. It's a sign of maturity. Everything we have is because God is generous. The second reason is that God, the generous living doesn't come naturally for us. It's hard. We have a lot of years of clenching the fist and saying, mine, you can't have it. No, I'm going to keep this. And it's a real challenge to break that prison of saying, you can't have this. So God helps us to be generous, and he explains to us what the benefits are with respect to being generous. So let me share with you some of them. I wish I had time for all of them, but here are, here are some of them. Are you ready? Number one, the benefit of speaking and acting more like Jesus. Being more like Jesus. Why is it important to be generous? It's a growth principle. I act and speak more like Jesus. Generosity moves your heart to be more like him. One of the best words to describe Jesus is the word generous. He's the most generous person who has ever lived. God is a giver. There is no one who gives more freely and generously than God himself. My heart is beating. That's a gift from God. My lungs are working. That's a gift from God. The sun was shining brightly this morning as I, as I drove here. That's a gift from God. I can walk. I can talk. I can sleep. I can eat too much. But it's all a gift from him. And he's always giving, and he is our leader to follow. I become more loving when I become more generous. You spell love, G-I-V-E. You can't love without giving. And you, you, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Every time you're generous, what happens is a change takes place in you. Every time you give, your heart moves just another little tweak up the dial toward God. You become more like Jesus. You become more loving every time you give. It's a growth marker. It's a growth marker along your, your journey of discipleship. 
The Bible says you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, and he says that counts. I practice, every time I practice generosity, I become a little bit more like Jesus. Our culture doesn't say give, it usually says get. So when we're walking with Jesus and desiring to be generous, we're going across the tide of our culture. That's not the message on the media inputs that you got. That's not the message in your mailbox, give to others. It's always, always about something that you, you need or something that you want. But when we listen to Jesus to be generous, we just chip away at our selfishness. The Apostle Paul said, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And you know his attitude, leaving heaven to come to earth to show us his love. And that's generosity at its best. So number one, one of the blessings of generosity is that I begin to act and I begin to speak more like Jesus. Secondly, generosity triggers God's blessing. It triggers God's blessing. I think you all know that I'm not a proponent of the prosperity gospel, that God doesn't uh, promise prosperity and blessing in the way uh, prosperity teachers teach it. He doesn't promise sunshine and roses and rainbows and my favorite chocolate bar coffee crisp every day. Uh, we don't get all of those things. But on the flip side, God does reward those who give generously. He blesses those who delight to bless others. He pours out kindness on those who pour themselves out for others. Those who are stingy will find that God is stingy toward them. And those who are generous will be on the receiving end of God's generosity. So generosity triggers God's blessing. And that's a, that's a principle that Scripture endorses, that generosity endorses and, and triggers God's blessing. We've heard the Bible describe the value of giving in the famous words that it's better to give than to receive. And Paul said uh, in Acts 20, 35, that you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus that is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, we've just come through Christmas, and uh, you see the smiles on the faces of uh, the kids when they get the gifts. And you also see the smiles on the uh, on parents as uh, and family and friends as they gather around the Christmas tree, and 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 you see somebody else getting something, and maybe your credit card's frowning a little bit these days. Uh, uh, one of the reasons that our credit card gets a little stretched at Christmas is just the simply the fact that we love to bless other people, and some have dubbed it a neurological response that it makes us feel good to give to others. At the University of Zurich in Switzerland, they compared people's brain activities while spending money on themselves or on others. And those that spent money on others had increased activity in the parts of the brain associated with empathy and happiness, respectively. Here's a comment from the medical community. Gift-giving behavior causes humans to release feel-good chemicals in the brain, such as serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, that creates a warm glow effect. This behavior also releases endorphins, 
which produces the positive feeling known as the helper's high. The happiest people in the world are givers. The most miserable people in the world are misers. That's where the word miserable comes from. You know that if you're a giver, it feels good. It feels good to give. I read that Carl Menninger, who was the director of the Menninger Clinic, uh, the outstanding psychiatrist, he said, giving is a criterion for mental health. He said, generous people are rarely mentally ill. Why? Because they have a fix on the way life is supposed to be. It makes us happy. And when you see a really, 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 really happy church, you know that it's a church full of givers. Well, that's just a quick mention from a more psychological perspective, but, but biblically, biblically, what about biblically? Generosity triggers blessing in our lives. That's how it works in God's economy. Good things come to the person who is generous. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. How does that work? How are we blessed? Well, it's not a formula. It's, it's a promise of how God operates. It's not a slot machine. Put a coin in here and God pops a bigger one out here. It's not that. Uh, but you are blessed when you are generous, especially to the poor. Now, what kind of blessing comes to us? Is it financial blessing? Could be. It could be. God can increase your income. He might lower your expenses. He can keep, uh, he can keep an old washing machine going for years and years and years. We've experienced that. He can keep an old car on the road year after year. We think, how does it keep going? God is blessing. We get another 50,000 kilometers out of that old jalopy. What does the blessing of God look like? All the way from physical to spiritual. It's a promise. God says, I will bless. Continue to keep your eyes open to understand how he's blessing. Might surprise you how he's blessing. Maybe not in the obvious way you would anticipate. I, I couldn't help but reflect on these blessings for Marg and I uh, through the years. Uh, we have noted with a huge heart of thanks that God has blessed us over and over in so many different ways, in so many different ways. We agree we don't give to be blessed, but we have felt his blessing. We have felt his care. We have felt his protection uh, all through the years. And now we can look back over every year of our married life and see how we got started on the road to giving through tithing. As soon as we got married, we had the discussion on tithing. And we automatically said, this is what we need to do. I can't remember any debate on it. I can't remember us talking about it very uh, long. It's just like, we should do this. And, uh, and we began to do that. We got the train started on the track immediately. And I'm so thankful for that because we started our marriage by tithing. And today we see how critically valuable that was. Here's what the psalmist wrote. Good comes to those 
who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. And have you noticed Psalm 37, verse 26? They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. The godly are always generous and their children will be blessed or be a blessing. It's kind of a new thought for me uh, this past week. If I learn how to give the way God gives, the blessing comes to the whole family, to our children. Now, what's that about? Blessing gets passed on to the next generation. My sense is that the next generation gets the blessing because they've seen how you were generous. They learn generosity from you. And parents, that's awesome uh, because throughout their lives, your children will experience the richness of God's blessing in all of his unique ways. And so you are setting them up for the future that is filled with blessing because you're generous. You modeled that and they caught it and they also caught the blessing. And isn't that what we would truly desire for our kids? That they would experience God's best for their lives. And if we get it, then our kids will get it and take hold of it as well. So generosity triggers God's blessing for ourselves, for our children, uh, and for business, your business. It's an agricultural image because most of the people in the Bible had an agrarian perspective. And a good many of them were farmers and they understood these farming metaphors. But look what King Solomon writes in Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Uh, the New International Version puts it this way, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So give the first fruits of your income to the Lord. Fruits, first fruits meaning 10%. We call it the tithe. And so here's the premise, and here's the promise. The premise is to give the first fruits, and the promise is this, that he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Amen. It's an incredible promise. God says, if you, if you discover how to be generous, then you will experience how he blesses your business, how he blesses our work, he will bless our career and our investments. This is not prosperity gospel. This is the economy of God. This is his teaching to us, his word to us. Look at it again, at it again in Proverbs 11.25. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's the economy of God. Generosity triggers God's blessing on a personal level. We're blessed, and that's the way God operates. That's his economy, and that's his grace to us. And then generosity triggers God's blessing to our children. And what a joy to know that they too can begin to catch on to generosity, and as a result, their lives are blessed. And then the next generation, and on it goes. And then generosity triggers God's blessing on our work, our place of business. And God says, I'll bless how you make a living. Thirdly, our generosity is an investment in the next chapter. Uh, I know that we feel like, in, especially in these, these months and these years, inflation has shot up, uh, that 
we almost feel like just everything has got to go the way of paying for, for our bills. And, and we almost forget the next chapter, which is our eternal home. The chapter, this chapter is so demanding. The bills are, are huge. Everything is going up. We've all been to the grocery store. Everything is high. And education is, cost, uh, is costly. It just takes everything. But Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't want us to lose our way and our perspective in all of the earthly challenge that we face. And God is giving us a chance to invest in heaven by the way we live on this earth. You can actually make some heavenly investments. Remember how Jesus reminded us to look ahead. Keep your eyes on eternity, not just on planet earth. And when I generously give of my time and my energy and my finances, I'm investing in God's work today. But yes, also in eternity. Jesus calls this principle storing up treasures in heaven. This phrase, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here on, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So store, store your treasures in heaven. Talk about a balanced portfolio. Uh, part of the balance is between investing on earth and then investing in heaven. Um, sorry, iPads. Uh, when I give generously uh, of, my, of my time and my energy and my finances, I'm investing in God's work today. And that's where God would have us do you. Uh, and he says, you can, you can spend 80, we can spend 80 to 100 years on this planet, and some a lot less. Why wouldn't you invest where you're going to spend the most time? How can you even gauge eternity? Trillions of years. Time will no doubt be measured differently in heaven. But eternity is forever. It never ends. And this is the place where Jesus said, we should be most concerned to invest. You can't hang on to it here. The, the, the moment your eyes close in death, all of your earthly investments cease to be yours. I think it was Billy Graham who coined the phrase. He said, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul truck. You can't take it with you. So what does Jesus say? While you're in the classroom here on earth, don't over-invest here. You have to invest something here, but don't over-invest here, but store up treasures in heaven. Your financial investments deserve a lot of thought. God wants us to be faithful stewards of our earthly finances. And one of the things that you can do with your finances is to send them on ahead. If you have a will, and I hope you do, have you considered giving a portion of your possessions to the Lord? Have you thought about getting your lawyer to, to write it right in your will? 
What, what a blessing that is to a local church or to a Christian ministry that you really cherish. You can bless the work of Jesus in an amazing way through how you support those ministries while you're here and even when you're gone. Treasures in heaven are clearly treasures that last. Treasures are in heaven are treasures that no one can take from you. Uh, they can't take your, your bank account, your wallet, your house. If you're watching the news these days, you're, you're hearing how professional thieves are technically reprogramming the ignition system on many vehicles, but particularly Dodge Ram trucks. And they can steal them from your driveway in 10 minutes. They are sophisticated. They can come in, uh, get into your vehicle, reprogram quickly, and they're, and they're gone. And they usually get what they're after because they're good at it. Treasures on earth can be stolen. All of our possessions atrophy and become obsolete. And the more things we have, the more our things seem to have us. And we start to organize our lives around them and spend money to maintain them. Over 1,600 years ago, John Chrysostom wrote something which could have been written last week. Let me quote it. We are only temporary guests on earth. We recognize that the houses in which we live serve only as hostels on the road to eternal life. We do not seek peace or security from the material walls around us or the roof above our heads. Rather, we want to surround ourselves with a wall of divine grace. And we look upward to heaven as our roof. And the furniture of our lives should be good works performed in a spirit of love. John Chrysostom. Then fourthly, our generosity uh, is an investment in the next chapter, and then our generosity results in abundant provision. Uh, if, you ask, uh, if we ask ourselves, why are we hesitant to be generous? Uh, some might just say, well, we just want to keep it for ourselves. It's ours. Or the other more popular response is, we don't want to give anything away because we might need it. We just might need it. And maybe that's the reason that we're most reluctant. I don't want to give it away because I'm afraid in the end I may not have enough. So perhaps our biggest fear is our enemy is fear. I don't know if I should give that away. In the end, will I have, it, have enough? No doubt many of, understand, of us understand that well, uh, that we're afraid that our money is one day just going to run out. And we're afraid that if we give it to God off the top, that we're going to get halfway through the month and be out of money. This is the place where we wrestle. If I give here, I may be short over here. How do I understand the principle of generosity and how do I deal with my fear? Here's where the promises are so helpful. Let me give you some Bible in a couple of areas. Number one, God's provision for our needs. First of all, God promises to meet all my needs. May I show you if, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will have enough everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I have to say that it was a little different for us growing up on the farm, um, trying to figure out the tithe. My parents were fairly quiet about what they gave to the Lord. Uh, I wish that they would have allowed us a little more um, publicity or uh, sharing with, with uh, what, what they were doing. I, I know they were faithful givers, but we just didn't talk about it. It was one of those subjects you just didn't talk about. They didn't have a regular monthly income, and so it came in bigger batches when they sold grain from the harvest or they sold uh, 20 steers from on the market. And then they would receive an income, and I'm sure they always tried to figure out uh, the income. They would have a discussion, I know, and uh, it was kind of private, and, and then mom would write the check. And I, I, I'm sure they were generous because they were always generous to us, so I assume they were generous to God. But for most of us, we have a regular monthly income, and we know exactly what our income in is. And out of that, we tithe 10%. And then we learn to go beyond the tithe and watch God continue to bless and open doors as we go beyond that tithe. And when I look at these verses that we just read, we have some great instruction. We should stop to give careful consideration of what we will give. That's what Paul is saying. You should decide in your hearts how much you will, you will give. Don't wait until you get to church and then quickly give something because we're in a hurry. And maybe online giving has been good to us in the sense that we have time to ponder and consider and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give? Or if we have it all figured out for the year, we should maybe do the automatic withdrawal and we know that that amount comes out of our account weekly or monthly. And, and Paul says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. That's his word. And then you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And then he says, don't give under pressure. If you give because someone's pressuring you, that loses all the joy. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. We get the word hilarious from the translation of the word cheerfully. Paul is saying, I want it to be thrilling for you from the heart, being all in and just give in a cheerful, hilarious way and watch what God does. And Paul says, and God will generously provide all you need, and then you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Notice Paul didn't say, uh, God will give you all your greed. He says, I'll give you everything you need. And all of your needs will be met. It doesn't mean you can go out and buy one of those Teslas that are marked down a little bit these days, or a Rolls Royce or whatever. Wouldn't that be something? But God, God will give you what you need. Have you contemplated what, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38? Here's what our Lord himself said. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will re return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. And the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. What a fun game God enjoys playing with us. 
And, and he reminds us that we, he can outgive us. You give to God or people, and I'll give to you. And we'll see who wins. He says, I promise you. And he says this over and over again. You give, and I'll give back even more. You give even more, and I'll give back even more. And your gift will return to you in full. And remember who's saying this. Uh, I'm just reading the scripture. That your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. It's a farm illustration of putting grain into a sack. And then to make room for the sack, you kind of pull up on the sack and you press it down and you get as much into that sack as possible. And it runs over and into your lap. What a great picture. This is the blessing of God when you're generous and when you give to God. That God will meet not only your needs, but you will end up with more, according to this verse. Look what it says in Proverbs eleven twenty four. Some people give generously and end up with more, while others don't give what they should and end up poor. Almost rhymes, doesn't it? Can we add one more layer to this blessing from God? The Bible contains a promise that if you're generous in your giving, then it will not only meet your needs, uh, not only uh, bless your family, but in fact, God will multiply what we give him. It's God's multiplication process. Uh, and it's incredible. And when, when that happens, we say, oh, God, oh, wow, only God could have done that. How about the little boy with the, the five loaves of bread and two little fish? And God used that little boy's lunch to feed a crowd of 5,000 people. And that was amazing, and it simply reminds us that God can use what we give, and he can bless it and multiply it. It's not like we have to give a certain amount. He, just what's personal to us. He takes a little, he turns it into, into a lot. We all can't give the same amount. That's not the point. It's being faithful with what we have and giving it to God, and he takes it, and he blesses it. I heard one pastor say one day that whatever you need more of, give it to God. You need more time? Give your time to God. Put him first in your time. You need more money? Give your money to God. Put him first in your money. You need more energy? <laughs> Give your first energy to God, and he will multiply it. And, you know, God compares our generosity to planting seeds. Every time you're generous and helpful to people, it's like planting a seed. And every farmer knows that if you plant one seed, you get back more than one seed. Otherwise, it wouldn't be worth planting. You get back more than one seed. If you plant a seed of corn, you get a whole stock of corn you get an ear of corn. You get many kernels of corn. And you say, wow, from one kernel of seed in the ground, you get hundreds of kernels of seed to eat. And that's how God uses what we give him. Oftentimes you hear someone praying. I heard, I heard Jen praying it this morning that to multiply these gifts. Lord, as we receive these gifts today, multiply them to your honor and glory. And that's what he loves to do. God, God lets us decide how much we will plant, but he advises us that a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants 
generously will get a generous crop. And then he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And remember that planting a seed takes time. It just doesn't happen immediately. You plant in one season and you harvest in another. And that's how it is with God. Not that I give him an offering in the morning and in the evening I expect it to come back a little bit more. It's not that. It's not a slot machine. God is like a farmer. You be faithful to plant the seed and God will be faithful to bring in the harvest. Give to him faithfully, regularly. Start at 10%, start building. And if you can't start at 10%, then start lower. Because of, of the fear factor, perhaps it's hard to say 10%. Then start where you can. And trust God that your gift to him will bring joy to your heart and great blessing to the work of God. And as you gain faith and trust, Keep adding to that number, remembering all of the great promises from God. Friends, these are just some of the promises of God in respect to his, uh, his challenge to be generous. But may they, may they remind us again. And may you in your family experience the blessing of God as you walk with him. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we are thankful for the God we serve, that you are so filled with grace, so filled with love, so much on our side that you desire to bless us and make us a blessing. Lord, grant to us uh, hearts to be generous in our relationships with one another, generous in the time that you give to us, generous in our resources, and generous to be men and women uh, who are faithful in following you. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.